Hi, and welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. This is Dr. Sadaf Lodi, and I would love for you to leave me a review of this podcast and also to share and like it and share it with your friends, see what they think and let me know. I would love to shout you out on social media. And also, I would love for you to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Sadaf OBGYN, as well as TikTok. I also have started a YouTube channel at Dr. Sadaf Intimacy Coach. I'd love for you to follow me on all of those channels. And most importantly, I'd love for you to become a patient. I am now accepting telehealth patients for sexual health as well as menopause health in New York and Michigan. So if you are a woman that is looking for a doctor that understands you and can actually take the time to listen to all of your concerns, reach out to me. Reach out at drsadaf at drsadaf.com. And I would love to see you as a patient. And now for the episode. I am an American board certified OBGYN, a mom, a Muslim, and I'm talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sada Flodi, and this episode is everything you need to know about depression, managing depression and anxiety, and how that shows up in a relationship. Before I get into it, the very first thing I want to make very clear is that I'm not giving any type of medical advice. So if you're having any issues with depression or anxiety or any issues with mental illness, please speak with your healthcare provider. And if you have any questions about your religion, please speak with your friendly neighborhood religious leader. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast because I just happen to be a Muslim woman that talks about sex. So welcome. And I am so excited to have with me on Dr... I'm going to say it wrong. So, <laughs> so hi, I'm Dr. Akinrambi. <laughs> that's right. Um, so Dr. Akinrambi is a psychiatrist joining us from New Jersey. So Dr. Akinrambi, please introduce yourself to our sure. guests and our listeners. Yes. Thanks, Dr. Lodi. I'm Dr. Balanli Akinrambi, psychiatrist and founder at Bright Minds MD in New Jersey, a group practice where we help individuals who have a depression and anxiety disorders live better and feel better using fewer medications and wellness practices. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you so much for coming on. And I am super excited to get right into it. So, so for the viewers and the listeners out there that may not know anyone um, that has experienced depression, although I feel like it's very common, um, maybe you can go ahead and tell us a little bit about the signs and symptoms of depression and how that manifests and specifically how that manifests in a relationship. Absolutely. So um, depression is a very common thing. First of all, I want to mention that and um, high statistics. So I want to first start by saying that anyone who might be feeling depressed should not feel alone because there are high chances that you already know someone who's had depression before, currently depressed or maybe depressed in the future. And so we want to be open-minded, not hide, share, and seek out for help. How do we experience depression? According to the DSM, there are you know, a bunch of criteria that we look out for. Um, 
that tell us that a person is depressed. First is just this perpetual persistent feeling of sadness or feeling down for at least a two week period. For some people, they don't feel down, they feel irritable. Small things annoy them, small things irritate them. Um, they just, you know, everything just that normally wouldn't bother them starts to bother them and they feel upset. Some people have a change in their sleep. Uh, whether they start to sleep too much or they start to sleep too little. But there is a change typically in sleep for a lot of people. For many people, there would be a change in energy levels, usually a reduction. They feel like they don't have the energy to get through their day to day. Some uh, Another symptom would be loss of interest. Uh, loss of motivation. So lo loss of interest, meaning things that they used to enjoy before. Uh, I'm sorry, they, they lose interest in doing it, but also anhedonia is the other part where things that used to be enjoyable are is no longer enjoyable. And linking this to the topic we're talking about, you know, in relationships, this could mean that a person who enjoyed sexual intimacy with their partner before, perhaps by a touch or other, you know, sexual forms of sexual engagement suddenly loses interest in doing that. They're doing it fewer times or even touch starts to annoy them, even though they enjoyed it before. This could be some subtle signs that a person is depressed and it is beginning to affect their relationship. Um, a person who's also depressed may start snapping at everything. Snapping colloquially, right? This is how we say like they're just snapping at everything. Um, just being asked a question, how are you feeling? Or, you know, being touched causes them to lash out, um, which would typically for people be a, a clear departure from their usual selves. So a jovial person, a loving person start to like just be touchy, catty, snap at their partner. And if this goes on for a long time, right, that can affect the quality of a relationship because the other partner is wondering, well, they used to like this thing before, they're not engaging anymore, or they used to enjoy me touching them this way before, and now they're just annoyed even by my presence. So what's mm. going on? So yeah. th those are some signs of depression um, that we may see in you know, a person. Interesting. You know, are you usually, at least I usually think when I think of depression, I think of sadness, I think of loneliness, I think of, you know, a person being withdrawn. I never really associated being irritable. With oh, irritability depression. is a big one that we don't talk as much about, but yeah. sometimes that's how it shows up because uh, depending on culture and upbringing, right, a lot of people are taught to smile and, and get on with their day or or not acknowledge sadness as an emotion. So the person may not be withdrawn in their homes and hiding out. There are a lot of functioning depressed people too, walking around the streets. They don't look sad at least while they're out in public, um, unless maybe someone who knows them very well. But irritability sometimes even shows up before the sadness. Everything just annoys them and they're snapping at people. Mm -hmm. So interesting. And yeah, you can definitely see how that would affect a relationship. And, you know, I'm sure that the other person would feel that there was they were doing something wrong, or there was something, you know, that uh, was irritating the other person that they were doing, whereas it could just be that the person is depressed. So what would you recommend for somebody that is experiencing all those symptoms? You know, where do they go for help? How do they even know that they're, you know, that they have depression, that they have this irritability, I guess, you know, aside from realizing it themselves or somebody mentioning it to them, what may be other signs that they have this and how would they know when to go and seek out help? 
Right. So I like to uh, clearly distinguish between all of those symptoms I described and a depressive episode, right? Everybody gets annoyed sometimes. Everybody's irritable sometimes. Everybody, you know, loses sleep sometimes or sleeps too much sometimes. So you really want to get concerned. Like what makes it a disorder is if all of those things, or at least, you know, five of them are happening Mm. together for Mm. a period of time to the point where it starts to affect life, Mm. whether it starts to affect work, whether it starts to affect your function at home, or whether it starts to affect your relationship, right? People have gotten divorced during untreated depressive episodes because they're withdrawn, they don't have energy, they don't do things that they used to do in the relationship. It lingers for a long time and no one realizes it and things fester and things get really bad. Mm. So I usually say when you detect anyone detects a change in their partner um, in term, or a change in the tone and texture of their relationships, depression and anxiety, mental health issues are things to consider before throwing in the towel and saying, oh, this person is you know terrible, I can't be with them anymore. It's, it's always a valid question to say, hmm, are they going through something? Are they depressed? Are they anxious? Are all these things happening at once? And if it's happening, communication is always the first place to start sure. with the partner to say, look, I'm you know, noticing some differences, you know, it changes in you, you know, you're doing this and that, or you're not participating or engaged in the way you used to be engaged. And the kind of help um, that people would need typically can start from seeing a psychiatrist or a therapist. Uh, a therapist is, you know, the what we know classically in in, in TV and in popular media, the, the person who sits with you, talks to you, talks to you about whether your childhood, your present, you know, uses words and engagement, the relationship, as a means of understanding and then offering a treatment. A psychiatrist is a medical doctor who also specializes in brain illnesses that affect mood and behavior, and also many of us psychiatrists have. Uh, training also in using talk as part of our treatment modality, but we also have the additional bio piece of medications that we can offer to such an individual. Hmm. So how would a person know that they needed medication um, as opposed to just therapy? Do you normally start people on therapy first and then if they're not getting any better, then you start medication or is it vice versa? So some many people self-refer. So if a person, a person would, depending on their own personal beliefs and understanding of themselves and maybe uh, severity of what's going on, will choose where to go. So some people will choose a therapist because there are way more therapists in the United States than there are psychiatrists and more ready, uh, accessible, I would say. Many people will start their journey there with a the therapist and start talking. And usually, depending on the severity of the presentation, Like, is this someone who's still going to work, who's still talking to their husbands and still managing to get dressed every day? Or is this someone who's laying in bed, cannot even be bothered to shower, well, doesn't have the energy to shower or brush your teeth or groom themselves? You know, that difference in in severity is what would determine where you start. So for mild, which is most working, you know, people who are still managing to you know, function in some way, but not at their peak, they may start with therapy. Sometimes a therapist will recognize that this needs um, further assessment with a psychiatrist and may refer to a psychiatrist for consideration for medications. Sometimes some people will present first to a psychiatrist just because that's what's in their sphere uh, and they have access. And 
for example, if someone sees me and I believe that they're mild and they, either they have reluctance towards medications or they're fearful of side effects, I will then refer them away to a therapist to try out talk therapy because that has efficacy as well. They can start there and then, you know, we can reassess back and forth whether they're finding solutions or not. So it's really a dynamic decision-making process that's based on where a person presents as well as the severity of it. Some people first present to the ER. The first time mm. a person presents for care is because they've been laying down, they've lost, they stopped showing to work, they're not calling, they haven't showered in days and their family's like, this is enough. We're going to cart you away to a hospital yeah. emergency room. And their first encounter is the hospitalization, which can be unpleasant as a way to start sure. treatment. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So I know that oftentimes we have medications that can affect libido and, you know, a lot of patients suffer from that and they also suffer from anxiety and depression. So what are some medications that, you know, that could affect uh, libido that also are used to help in depression? So the notorious classes for um, that that people are most familiar with are the SSRIs, serotonin yeah. reuptake inhibitors, tend to have um, either decreased libido or even um, difficulty with orgasm, ejaculation as part of the side effect profile. And this is one of the reasons um, that people sometimes may bring up that you know they don't want to be treated with medicines or that class of medications. Unfortunately, they are the first line of medicines, but not everybody gets those symptoms. And the other question that we often ask is, is a person having a loss of libido or these sexual effects because of depression, right? Because when people are depressed, yeah. they, they lose interest in sexual engagements and sexual encounters, among other things. So we often want to measure is this due to the depression or is the medicine worsening what was existing before or causing it from scratch? Again, this varies from person to person, but the part of the education I would provide to people would be to, we wanna know where we're starting from before we start meds and then we wanna measure. And for many people, as depression resolves, they may regain um, you know, libido back, they regain libido back, they regain, you know, but, but the other thing that sometimes linger is like difficulty with ejaculation and things like that, or premature ejaculation, for example. We have, if, if a medicine has been helpful to treat depression, we do then have to think of creative ways to treat those other side effects if they are happening, but they don't happen with everyone. So mm. um, it's interesting. So I didn't know that. So um, you're saying that some antidepressants can cause issues with ejaculating in men. Yes, so they, they may not be able to. Okay, so then that and affect their. So what medication is that? Like all of the SSRIs potentially are implicated okay. in that. Yeah. Um, in fact, like that's one of the. If a man stops coming, if I suddenly don't see them, <laughs> I prescribe them an SSRI and they don't show up. It's often my guess as 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 what has happened, and so uh, I make it a part of counseling now to say, look, this can happen. If it happens, don't disappear. Let's talk about it. Let's figure out a different pathway, whether it be choosing a medicine that doesn't cause that, like Wellbutrin is, you know, one that is dopaminergic and doesn't cause that, or can even improve that if it's happening that we can switch to. So we just consider other, either the atypicals and non um, typical like serotonin based medicines, you know, Trintelix is popular for that, or Velazodone, Vibrate and all, you know, Wellbutrin, those don't tend to cause that. So we would usually switch pathways, but, um, like if a man disappears after I give him an SSRI, it's 
most of the time that. <laughs> so, um, you know, we actually recently just had a psychiatrist on and he referred to himself as the unpsychiatrist. And so he advocated for no medication. And um, he stated that he felt that movement and creativity really helped de depression. And uh, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Um, so we, we all fall, uh, interestingly, because psychiatry is still a developing and continually evolving field of medicine. And oftentimes we find ourselves on the, you know, ultra science and ultra art spectrum of life. So we will all fall there. I tend to fall also, um, somewhere in the middle where I believe that medications have a role. I don't agree that medications don't have a role at all, but I'm a strong believer in using the other wellness practices um, such as movement in treating illnesses. So for the vast majority of uh, patients I encounter, we could, because like there are things that we know are documented or helpful, exercise, for example, movement releases endorphins mm. and releases, um, also boost serotonin release. So I um, very well, you know, that that person is right, is correct in saying we can use movement to treat um, mood disorders such as um, depression. And in fact, there is a whole um, behavioral activation is, is kind of a modality of therapy that takes something like that into account. But Part of what I prescribe for all of uh, my depressed patients, especially people who are hiding out at home, if usually I have their partners or family members involved in saying, make sure they're getting up at this time, make sure they're walking outside. Sunlight is another wonderful treatment that's very helpful for mood disorders. So if it's if it's a, a, a person who lives in a tropical place, so if it's summer, I usually say, make sure you're you know going outside, sitting outside for like a while to get some sun treatment. And in fact, there are sun lamps that are sold now for the winter because they help treat um, mood disorders that mm. are seasonal. So there is a seasonal affective disorder, which is a kind of depression yeah. that happens more in the winter. Part of the treatment that is heavily recommended data-backed is these sun lamps that replicate or attempt, attempt, right, attempt. We cannot replicate the sun, but we can attempt to replicate what um, we're getting from the sun. So that's part of the treatment. Exercise is big. I'm a huge, huge believer, like, you know, covering the movement. Sunlight, we've talked about good sleep. We don't talk about mm. sleep enough. Like, I'm yeah. like the US is a capitalist country. We're all going, going, going from one thing to another, trying to extend our productivity. But one of the best ways to extend our productivity is actually taking time to sleep. Mm. So sleep is another way that we treat depression. And in, um, Older times, I had one of my older attendings, actually, if someone was very depressed. So there's a kind of depression where a person is oversleeping. Yeah. Part of the treatment that he would prescribe then, like, you know, older psychiatrists would be to have a timer for when they wake up. So you want to shorten sleep time if a person has that oversleeping depression. And it's I don't know that it's well understood how that works to help um bring back like a return of good mood or euthymic mood, but sleep is a big, big part of mood. And I would say anyone who's ever had any kind of mood disorders has to pay close attention to their sleep and their sleep routines. Mm. Um, having their sleep routine, but also good quality sleep, right? So we do a lot of screenings for sleep apnea because a lot of people are overweight or for the reasons have sleep apnea and sleep apnea, even though they're sleeping a lot, they're not really quite sleeping because it's poor quality sleep. So we want to, you know, those three things are big 
for me. Movement, sleep, sunlight, <laughs> and nature. And nature. Yes. We underestimate the impact mm. of nature in treating our moods. Getting out there, um, yes. whether it be in the woods or by a wa uh, uh, water body, those are all things that are easily accessible to everyone and anyone. They are mood boosting. They improve serotonin. They boost endorphins. These are sexual encounters. Oh, good God, I forgot to mention that. <laughs> um, you know, sex, we know that sex boosts, you know, endorphins, serotonin, so there's a partner. Of course, a person who's heavily depressed may lose interest, but as they start to feel better, definitely something to put in their, in, in their regimen of things I can do on my own at home to, to improve my mood. So huge believer in that. <laughs> Would you write a prescription for a patient to have sex? Um, that may be pressure. I've never written one, but I've, I, I would definitely include, I typically include partners in discussions of treatment. And if, uh, I would, I would probably bring it up with a partner and say, Hey, you know, this could be helpful as well. You guys should, you know, consider optimizing that in this time. Yeah. I mean, there's so many forms of intimacy, right? So, you know, there's that physical intimacy, but there's also that emotional intimacy, intellectual and experiential intimacy. So any, I'm sure if you were to increase those different types of intimacy, eventually it would also lead to the physical intimacy that a lot of people crave. But of course, we know that there are different types. And so just because a person does not feel like they want to be physically intimate, they can still try to be emotionally intimate, right? Sharing um, an experience with somebody that can increase their intimacy, you know, being vulnerable and allowing the other person to get to know them, building that trust, of course, increases the emotional intimacy. So I Absolutely. think, you know, all of those things, of course, you know, hopefully will also help in depression. I've heard that as well, where spending the, um, I've heard the study where you spend two hours a week outside and that significantly helps your mood. Um, have you heard of that as well? Um, I don't have like the exact numbers. I'm not as much a numbers person, but I know definitely it is data backed that spending time yeah. outside. I was even recently also learning that connecting with the earth, like, you know, taking off your shoes, planting your feet in the ground are all can also be wow. very mood boosting. And some of the techniques that are taught even in therapy involve grounding yourself, connecting with the earth. Um, the, I don't understand it very well. I don't know if it's like full science, but something about, you know, grounding your charges or something like that. But it, it's, it's helpful. Anecdotally, in reports of people who practice it, find those um, engagements with nature, the mm. outdoors, apart from the sunlight, but just engagement with nature, yeah. very um, mood boosting and, and helpful for mood. That's fantastic. So, you know, you've given us some suggestions. I'm wondering if you have any other suggestions with somebody that may be experiencing depression, perhaps they don't know it yet, or they're thinking that they may be depressed, you know, what are things that they can do to help themselves? And then what can their partners do to help them? Um, I'll tackle the partners because I feel like uh, we, we talked about some of that earlier, but sure. being present is a big part. Um, of what a support system can do. A, a lot of questions I get from other people is, so what can we do, right? Why wouldn't this person just get up and, you know, for a very depressed person, why wouldn't they just get up and start doing all the things that they do or do their functions? It's understanding that they can't. Like mm. people don't just tap out of life, mostly for no reason. They want to, people who are depressed want to. They can't because part of, like loss of inertia is part of the, depressive experience. So what a partner can do is 
being present and being understanding and Mm -hmm. also encouraging communication. Sometimes the the depressed partner may not communicate as well. They may not talk as much because they don't have the energy, don't have the motivation, no interest. Isolation is a big part of depression as well. People who are depressed sometimes just want to keep to themselves. They come home, throw their backs down and go hide in the room. I mean, we all do that from time to time, but like (laughs) doing that repeatedly could be a sign that someone's, (laughs) someone's depressed. So a partner can, um, start to ask questions, communicate, be present, be understanding, help out a little bit, right? If it's women, especially like a lot of more women in the home take on the burden of house gear in most families, not every family, but most families. So maybe taking on some of those chores to lift the burden can be a big way to help that person while they work on getting better but also continuing to reassure. Reassurance is a big part as well, because when many people are depressed, they see life through like dark colored glasses or narrow tunnel. These are actual descriptions from patients. Like it feels like everything is through a narrow tunnel and they can see past it. So it can be very, some people feel hopeless. So helping the person remember that this is what life used to be like before you felt depressed and it can get that way again in time can be very grounding and centering and these are things a partner can do in addition to a professional who's helping them Mm -hmm. yeah i love that i think it's so important right to show compassion and kindness to your partner and to let them know that you're there for them and you know when they and encourage them to come outside. I think that's probably, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist, but from what you are saying, I think that that probably could be really helpful, right? Even simply taking a walk outside may be very rejuvenating for somebody that doesn't have the motivation or the energy to even leave their bedroom. Um, So I think that that would probably be very helpful. And like you were saying, just to be outside and grounding yourself and also to be out in the sunlight, I'm sure all of those things, nature, probably significantly helps with mood and, you know, a person's well-being. So that's fantastic. Um, Any suggestions for somebody that may be suffering from depression, um, how they can, and I know you talked a little bit about this already, but how they can perhaps, um, I guess, or maybe how their partner uh, would be able to increase intimacy besides just the physical intimacy um, if they're feeling depressed. I know that that's one of the first things to go. So yeah. I know that's a tough question. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And and, 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 and and it's even harder because people who are depressed, especially moderately to severe, just don't like often, they don't engage, like don't want to talk, don't want to sit together. So maybe, but maybe sitting nearby, right? can be yeah. a form of intimacy, a form of connection. I see you, I'm here with you. Even if there is, they're not talking or sharing, just being there together can be a way to, to be intimate in the moment, yeah. sharing space, close space, yeah. um, and having them know that you're there for them with them be good yeah. i've had some partners who drag people out of bed like i i you know it was hard for them to go walking but my partner dragged me out of bed and made me go outside and i felt good after but i didn't want to in the beginning yeah. <laughs> so this this could be some ways that a partner can increase in missy like you said it doesn't have to be just physical it can just be emotional um, yeah being yeah. together oh yeah that's a great one Maybe. i think um in my head i envision like holding hands 
Yes. Right. Or perhaps cuddling or, you know, like you said, just sharing a space. You don't have to touch if the other person doesn't want to be touched. But, um, you know, and I think that that's so just the presence of another person being nearby, I think, shows them that they're supported. So I'm sure that probably really helps with their mental well-being to know that there are people that love and care for them and understanding that. I think a lot of times what we see on the news and the media is um, when patients or uh, people commit suicide because of hopelessness and that they don't see a way out. And like you said, that they see, you know, perhaps they're seeing their life through a tunnel and just don't see any light in it at all. So, you know, what would you say to that person that is severely depressed and don't see a way out of it? I want to provide them reassurance that it gets better yeah if you give it time depression gets better if you give it time even if you cannot see it you have to have faith and believe and this is not a fuzzy belief this is because we know it gets better with treatment with support and that things will feel different later Mm. also to note that the lens through which you're seeing the world in the moment are not real lenses. They're depression colored lenses. Mm. And so to remember not to make permanent decisions through a fuzzy lens, but to wait until there's clarity. And the clarity comes when depression goes away. I love that. I love the fact that you just said to not make any major life decisions with your depression colored lenses, because those definitely will distort your vision and allow you to see everything negatively and to feel anger and perhaps you know resentment toward that uh, whatever it is and so to know that you know eventually depression gets better and that your vision will become a little bit more clear is very helpful and i think that that is such an important message to get out there and to let people know that with therapy and maybe maybe with meds maybe, maybe without meds right. um that they that there is hope and that they can get better and to give themselves time and space so that they can get better can heal absolutely yeah absolutely. yeah that's fantastic so um any parting pearls that you would like to tell our viewers or uh listeners out there about depression I know we talked about a lot and you gave a lot of people hope. So <laughs> I think if, if I want people to know anything about depression, apart from the fact that it can get better, is to also know that they're not alone. It's yes. so common all over the world yeah. that a lot of people that you know would have had it or have it or may have it in the future, that it is not something to hide. I don't know, in many of our subcultures, it's such a stigmatized thing. It's an unacknowledged thing. It's a looked down upon thing. So I, if, if people remember something today, it's to remember that they're not alone. There's a possibility that the person you're talking to, like if you're in a room of four, or even in a family of four, amongst friends of four, there's a high chance that at least two of them have had it before, may have been under uh, medications before even, uh, that you don't know. So you're not alone. And the more that we open up about these things, the more that we can learn that we're not alone, receive support, and heal together. We heal better together, usually. 
love that. Thank you. No, that's that's fantastic to know that you're not alone. I think that that is a very, very important message. So thank you. So for somebody listening to this podcast and watching you, um, how can they get in touch with you? How can they make an appointment that they would just love to see you? Thank you. If you're in New Jersey or in New York and would like to meet with me or someone together at uh, my practice in Bright Minds MD, our website is brightmindsmd.com. That's B-R-I-G-H-T-M-I-N-D-S-M-D.com online. And we offer virtual visits to New Jersey and New York. And appointments can be booked online um, at any time from the convenience of your home or office. I also do social media uh, on Instagram at dr underscore bolanle b o l a n l e, um, sharing you know conversations like this every now and then. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. This was so informative and so helpful and really hopeful to people that may be suffering from depression to know that they're not alone, that there is help. And there are easy small things that they can even start doing today if they wanted to. And um, always to be open and communicative with their partners, with their family, so that their family and their partners know how they can support them, right? So super important. So thank you. Thank you again. And well, I am done here and it's been real and really intimate. And remember, this is not meant to be any type of medical advice. So if you are having any mental health issues or any feelings of depression, please seek help and speak with your healthcare provider. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. So thank you for listening to the podcast and make sure you leave us a review, share and like the podcast. And if you leave me a review, I'd love to shout you out on social media. So be sure that you share it with all your friends. And thanks for listening.